Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. J.D. Romick, and we're here to talk about Brian's midlife crisis and how to recover after a big injury or illness. Welcome back, everybody, to George Fox Talks Body. I'm Dr. J.D. Romick, and I'm here with my guest, Brian Doak, the vice president of George Fox Digital. So we, uh, we are colleagues, but we also share another bond. So as humans, we're always in the pursuit of optimal health and wellness, happiness, joy, but none of us are free from injury, illness, things that happen that take us out of our normal day-to-day and Brian's allowed me to share with him and share with you all some of his story as I was his physical therapist. So he came to me through uh, George Fox Clinic and had a pretty significant injury that could have altered the course of his life. Speaking of the day-to-day, I feel like I'm underdressed for this. <laughs> yeah, you know, for those who are only listening, I guess yeah. you can see. I just thought I'd dress down. You look like cool doctor, though. You know, you're, but you're a cool doctor, I would 1,000%. I would rather be wearing sweatpants and a hoodie, <laughs> curled up on this chair, yeah. legs crossed, yeah. just chilling, yeah. ponytail. No, it's very professional. Yeah. But I'm clearly, I'm your patient here. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the year 2011, 2011 and 2012, I think actually 2011, no, 2012, when I had just lived here for not even a year, I was playing a softball game on behalf of George Fox University. <laughs> oh, no. And I, this is going to get bad, just warning. And I was playing in the outfield, and it was the first pitch of the game. And the grass was wet. It was a beautiful night. This is in Newburgh at the fields up by Crater Elementary. Mm-hmm. And the guy hits the ball. And I'm like, hey, that ball is coming toward me. So I took a step forward and then I was like, you're a former softball player, right? I actually play. played center field. You play. Yeah, okay. Okay. Field. So I, I get Let's you. Go. I'm tracking right now. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> the ball's coming toward me. You know, sometimes when someone hits a rocket, you're like, you can't tell immediately oh, yeah. how far it's going to be. Yeah. So this guy hits the ball and I take a step forward. I'm like, oh, I should go forward to catch the ball. <laughs> then I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, no. This ball is going to go over my head. So I pivot. And immediately, like lightning, JD, like this is the fastest thing that ever happened in my life. Like lightning, I slipped in the grass and shot my left arm out to catch myself. Mm. And I blacked out for like a, just a second. And it was like I was struck by lightning. That's, that's, the, that's the image that I'm going with here. It was like lightning. Like I was struck by lightning. And I was almost like I was like paralyzed. I had basically stuck my arm down. This is gruesome to think about. And I fell so hard on my left arm from my feet. And at whatever angle that my shoulder not only dislocated, but it dislocated so hard that my humerus, is that the bone yep, that goes into the, the shoulder? The top bone of your arm, yep. My humerus, based on the angle and the way I sh- put my hand on the ground to catch myself, which was a very natural reaction, I guess, mm-hmm. jammed up into my shoulder and severely fractured the inside of my shoulder socket, which is called a hills Sachs fracture. Yes. And I had no idea what happened to me. I was taken to the emergency room. I was white as a ghost. Everyone was like, what happened? I could feel that there was this mushy gap. And I, I, I like, literally, this is what I thought. This is so dumb. I was like, did my arm just break off? Did I lose my bone? In a way. <laughs> In a way. Break off. Yeah. So when I got to the emergency room, though, the first question they asked me that I remember, the, the person there, you know how they like triage you? Yeah. She goes, are you, do you feel like you're about to faint? And I said, no. And then I totally did. 
And then these are some details that I actually didn't get in your evaluation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the whole thing was just a disaster. They actually couldn't figure out what was even wrong with my arm. Wow. Because it was so severely dislocated. They were like, did you snap your arm off? you're making a face as though you think, why would they think that? Like, have they never seen a dislocation before? That's what I was thinking. So they take me in the x-ray person. They were so sweet, but it's like, try to get your arm into the position to get it x-rayed when every centimeter of movement was like oh. nearly making me pass out. Excruciating. Yeah. Then they put me under the people were so sweet. They were wonderful. They had to put me under with propofol. My first time I'd ever been under which was actually kind of lovely in its own way. It's a good way. time to take, take some of the pain away. <laughs> and anyway, they had trouble. They almost couldn't get it back in. Oh. They almost had to go into surgery to get it mm -hmm. back in. So that's a pretty severe dislocation. And that's when that started. Yeah, is that a normal way to dislocate? Is that the way that typically goes? Yes, actually. Falling on an outstretched arm is oh. a good way to either fracture a wrist or dislocate a shoulder. Yeah. Um, and it's so natural, though, that you would shoot your arm up, but that's not what you should do. It is. You no, you, you, oh, you I should? mean, in so a, should you do that? Yes. It, it doesn't guarantee dislocation every time, but it is a natural <laughs> human reaction. Yeah, yeah. And fractures and dislocations, they're a way of also protecting some of our more vital structures in our body. So yeah. as painful as they are, yeah. it's better than puncturing a vital organ or something of the sort. That makes a lot of sense. So, so I went through like and then I went about 10 years and did nothing. And then during the pandemic, I re so the odds of dis re-dislocating, if anybody's out there uh, vibing with this, like you've dislocated, you know, it's about a 50-50 chance, they yeah. said, that you'll re-dislocate. I didn't do it for almost 10 years. I wow. was like, this is healed. Yeah. It kind of got, that process was not the problem in a way. Mm -hmm. Every time I drove past, oh, I want to pick up this story, but I want to ask you about this as a physical therapist. Okay. Every time I drove past the emergency room, still today, even just saying that phrase, I just cringe. My oh, whole, yeah. I just cringe. My whole body cringes. Yeah. That trauma is very real. Do people, does that happen to people? All the time. Yeah. Driving past sites of accidents. I felt kind of like a freak, like maybe I should get over it or something. Absolutely not. That's a, that's a very real experience. Mm. People that go to the site of their accident or their injury or really mm. some can't. Some can't go mm. back to those, those sites because wow. that, and I know we'll get into this, some is is such a triggering and visceral response because the course of your life and your life trajectory sometimes can be altered immensely by that moment. Mm. Some people define themselves when mm. those injuries happen. Mm. Some people um, identify as victims when those right. moments happen right. and not saying there's anything wrong with that. Right. I'm just saying it is life altering it happens. when that stuff happens. And it, you're saying it happens and it has, there's a variety of reactions a person yeah. could have. Yeah. Including feeling like, and I won't say it was the kind of thing like I couldn't function or I'd have to pull over my car. Yeah. But it's like looking at it and even the word, like there's a word associated with it. It's the word fracture. Just that word fracture. Yeah. And the surgery that I'll tell you about, which you know about in a mm -hmm. minute, is was it was at a place called a fracture clinic. I just hated that yeah. word. Like Orthopedic fra and fracture clinic. Fracture clinic. clinic. Yeah. Beaverton, shout out. Yes. What a great crew over there. I uh, love them. But um, yeah, so I, I went like nine years though. And just aside from the cringing, Mm -hmm. at the ER, Providence ER in Newburgh. Wonderful people, but I cringe when I see it. Yeah. Aside from that, I thought I was going to be fine. And then I re-dislocated it playing with my kids in the pool during the pandemic. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 no. Ended up talking to a doctor about it who's a, a, a family friend. Yeah. And he was like, you know, dude, if you're out backpacking like you like to do and you do this out in the backcountry, you could legit like end up dying because of something like this. Yeah. You can't have that happen. Yeah. He's like, look, you know, and he's a doctor. He's an anesthesiologist. He's been an ER doctor. He's like very bullish on the medical establishment. He's yeah. like, go in, just get the surgery. It's great. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of kicked something in me. I was like, you know, I should ask. I should go. 
And they did all the all the MRIs, the X-rays. Mm-hmm. MRIs, that's another traumatizing experience. Those things They're are like, scary. Are, another another yeah. example of them asking me, are you claustrophobic? No. I go in there. I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 this is really, yeah. I should not have opened my I'm eyes. Clicking Here's a tip. Here's a, I'll give a tip for free, which is amateur tip. For free. You do an MRI, just shut your eyes. Do not open your eyes in the MRI take, tube. Take a nap. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Do not open your eyes. But I did. So they did that and they were like, yeah, your labrum, which is this little like ring thing inside your shoulder that holds it together. That's a technical explanation for JD. I'm yeah, just explaining yeah. it to her. No, that's fine. Um, <laughs> um, was torn. Um, and in fact, they were like, yeah, you're, it's, it was torn really badly. And they were like, yeah, you're a great candidate for surgery. But that was a decision right there. Do you even do the surgery? Because they're like, mm. you could just keep going on and on. I even saw a YouTube video, which is I bet a number one doctor recommended tactic is to watch some dude mm-hmm. talk on YouTube and of just course. say stuff yes. with no medical expertise. It's just as good and as he was Dr. Like, Google. And he was like, don't do the surgery. Da, 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 da. And it really shook me, even though it had no kind of weight or bearing on my life. Right. No, yeah. con- just, you know, his voice versus, you know, a doctor with all yeah. this stuff. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. But I was honestly afraid to like revisit that whole thing because yeah. I, th- I thought it was fine. Anyway, I did the surgery. It all depends on your life and what you want to do. Yes. I'll just say that. Y- yeah, that's well. YouTube no, guy had different priorities. I mean, talk more about that, though. Why? Like, why do people put out videos like that? Like, how do doctors feel about this whole establishment of like WebMD kind of to diagnose yourself? Yeah, we all have different experiences, some not as severe. It's everybody, everybody and everybody mm. are we're unique. Mm-hmm. We have different experience. We have different demands. Mm-hmm. You going backpacking, you playing with your kids, you doing the athletic things that you right. like to do. Right. Having a stable shoulder is a bigger implication for what you want to do right. and what your life looks like. Right. Someone who may never use that shoulder again. We look at it with ACL surgeries too. Mm-hmm. Players that are done with their sport may opt to not do ACL surgery and just get super strong, get really stable and supported by their knee. It just depends on your life. So mm-hmm. reading Reddit, YouTube, Dr. Google, they're usually, they don't have your life in mind and they don't right. know you. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. It shows you how, I guess, personal and, and specialized all these kind of decisions yeah. have to be. But it's not something that one would want to make simply in isolation and in fear, like just yeah. in the internet. Like I saw that and it did affect me. It made me second guess the question of whether to have surgery. But um but I needed to talk to like more people yeah. right, and figure that out. Yeah. They did the surgery okay. and he said it was, quote, way worse than they thought it was. <laughs> and see, sometimes this is a reason to go in and do it. Well, that Your was, body is different. honestly, I was, I felt so validated when they said that. Yeah. I was so happy that he said that, even though it was bad. Yeah. Because it made me think, ah, it was good. Because he said basically one more time and I would have been looking at a very different kind of surgery mm. where they cut. This was like an uh, the kind where they go in with the, I actually, by the way, I watched a video. I watched a video of that type of surgery. Mm-hmm. I think that was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, Cause it I saw is it not for the faint of it was, heart. It was after I got it. I watched it and I was like, I wish I hadn't seen that. Orthopedic surgeries can be very violent. Okay. Why? There was like a lot of like water and fluid flying around. Why were they doing that? You'd have to probably talk to a surgeon about it. I don't but even probably, want to see it's probably that. saline yeah. to clear the area yeah, in a sterile sanitary way. And it looked like it had this feeling. This is something that actually came up during our physical therapy. I know that's the story we're kind of getting to here. We're building toward this, okay? This is hard it's to talk about. Build. But it's like, you know, I remember you talking about the way that when you do physical therapy, it's also about emotions and body and life. It's not just like for surgeons who do these surgeries, it's like they're in a surgery factory. Right. And yes, they see you as a human being and they're trying. But in a sense, they see you as a piece of meat, you know, on a table. 
And that's, those are my words, not your words, but like, <laughs> that's the way they see it. And they have to, right. Cause right. that's what they do. But watching the surgery, it made me very much feel like it was an alien procedure and that I was a piece of meat that they were just oh yeah working on. And so, but he said it was way worse. He said 75% of it was like not even intact. Yeah. And that made me feel much better. But that's when the physical therapy started. I'd never done physical therapy before. I'd had actually bad experiences with physical therapy, not interpersonally, mm-hmm. but I just felt like, I don't know how else to put this. I just felt like it didn't work. Yeah. But I never had something serious enough where there was something at stake. Yeah. And I, yeah, the first time I came in to do physical therapy with you, I was afraid. I was deeply afraid. Like, yeah, I I felt really vulnerable and I felt really afraid. Like, is that a normal way to feel after a surgery to come in to something like that? Yeah. I, and I, I could tell you, Mm. you talked quite a bit and I could tell there were nerves (laughs) and that is, it is a really normal thing for sure. You, I'm glad we don't have a video of that experience. No, I, I, I'd be too cringy. To it was a, also be great fest. because I see it all the time. Mm. And it's where people come in with this uncertainty. Mm. And I will say not everybody comes in mm. to PT. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge bummer because if they've had a negative experience in the past with anything, yeah. it shapes the way they see things. So I commend you for coming in, even though you had a previous experience that was negative because yeah. movement is the thing that gets you better. Mm-hmm. And I see so often when people come in at their lowest, mm-hmm. they're seeing this new injury as a defining moment in their lives. Right. And you can either go one of two directions. Mm-hmm. You can reinvent the athlete that you want to be in life mm-hmm. and you can work on that definition of yourself or you can become a victim to your circumstance and Mm. allow it to control you and and kind of put you in a prison of I used to be this and now I can't do it anymore and I see those two paths often and the ones that choose to come to PT and follow through and put in the work Mm -hmm. get better and they have this kind of elation of Mm. I couldn't do this two weeks ago. I couldn't do this two months ago. They trust the process. They put in the work and they're consistent. And it puts them on an infinitely, exponentially better trajectory for life than the latter or the former rather that that takes you into this spiral of victimhood and this despair of I don't have joy in my life anymore. Well, what's weird to me about like having a major surgery, and it could be obviously for anybody, you know, listening, you would have, you know, people have had all kinds of surgeries that have the same effect, you know? Yeah. Not, and the surgery I had was actually a pretty common surgery too, whatever it's technically called to repair the torn labrum and stabilize the shoulder and repair the fracture on the inside, whatever they do. But like the first night at home, I I, I was just despondent. Like you can't sleep. It's the worst. I, the first night after surgery is there's unbearable. And I know that there's this whole kind of societal thing about like chronic pain, like people who just feel pain, but I, it wasn't quite chronic pain like this was something I knew what it was, but there's this sense, even if, even if you know what the pain is, I would think even much weirder and worse if you don't, can't figure out what it is. There's this odd sense in the bed there at night where I'm like, this is just my life now. Yeah. Like I will never improve. Like, and it's dark, you know, I, my dog actually came up and jumped on the bed with me. We don't allow, allow our dog in the bed, but I slept in a spare bedroom Yeah, because I didn't want to bother my wife and all this kind of stuff. And so the, the we let the dog up on that bed and it was like so comforting that the dog mm-hmm. was there, yeah. that the dog actually helps tremendously. It's the only time he's actually like helped me in any way. <laughs> that was his one moment <laughs> of like actually helping me was, but like, mm-hmm. you know, so to even have something like that in your life. Um, was pretty amazing. But just the darkness of that feeling. I have a question for you. I, maybe this is like just yeah, off. Yeah. 
coming in that first time or even just like having an injury and trying that first little micro step to recover. I think one thing that was really weird for me, given what the fracture, fracture, fracture was and the feeling and all that stuff and just having the surgery. I think one of the weirdest things is like you come into a physical therapist and even having someone touch you, yeah, like touch the arm. And it made me think about you as a professional, just like there have to be cases like, like I did not feel good about you like holding the art. Like there are things that you did, right? Like very yeah. gentle things at first, which became much more, you know, stretchy and serious things as those months <laughs> went by. Yeah. But like right away, it's almost like, how do you, how as a medical health professional, do you even approach that issue of like touch or get that kind of permission in a yeah. sense? Because it's actually like very sensitive. And some people, yeah. there's almost like an animal sense where you want to be like, Hur. protect, you protect the thing. Yeah. And you'd be like, you know, relax the arm. I'm holding the arm, relax the arm. And it's like, no, I'm not going to relax yeah. the arm. Right. Yeah. There's an immense amount of trust that has to be built. Mm. And it is a scary thing. Your first visit or maybe even your second visit, you're with a stranger mm -hmm. who is now in control of one of the most sensitive, like painful appendages on your body where right. you're like, I can't. I can't move this arm on my own. It hurts. Yeah. Don't touch it. Right. It's a natural protective mechanism. It's what our nervous system does. You're on a heightened alert. And the whole, if not one of the main goals of PT is to lessen that nervous system alarm system. Mm. It's it's made to protect us. It's made to put us on alert. But if we keep it on alert, which is sometimes what happens with chronic pain, mm -hmm. is you have this heightened sense of protection or this trauma or this experience that keeps that nervous system alarm system so high yeah. that movement helps lower that mm. touch can help with that. Mm -hmm. But it, it comes with developing a lot of trust and not injuring your, your patient on the first day. So you have to be really <laughs> mindful of the techniques you use to yeah. initiate movement, let the swelling and the, the normal inflammation that comes after surgery decrease. Yeah. Pharmaceuticals can help right. initially, but right, right. but letting that process and trusting that process while just gaining some movement can be so healing. One of my rebellions against the surgery is I didn't take any of the narcotics. That a babe. I was just like, that's I'm, impressive. I was just like I'm not doing it. Yeah. Can, can I ask you? I know as a medical professional, you can't like share like specific cases, but like, have you ever had a case, or what would you hypothetically do in a case if you have a a patient who just like they're just like they really that protection is so strong they almost and they just are like no. Yeah. They can't do it because I could see I wasn't like that. I submitted to it, but I could see how one could feel that way. Yeah. I don't have that happen too often. Mm. There are folks with chronic pain that this is going to sound really harsh. If people aren't ready to move, if they're not mm. willing to allow what needs to happen, happen in therapy, yeah. which is movement a right. lot of the time, right. that's their choice. Right. And that sucks mm -hmm. as a healthcare provider because you know in a way what's best for people. Just like anybody in any profession, whether it's financial management, just different things. Like unless people are really invested in what their goals are and what they want to do, right. they're, you can't convince them no matter whatever convincing. Until they're ready, you can't force them to do anything they don't want to do. Right. And so that's kind of the short answer is you, you just can't until they're ready. Yeah. There are, of course, motivational interviewing techniques. You can kind of get to the bottom of, you mm. know, what's keeping them or what's what's their their right. prison that they're putting themselves in right. so that you can help meet them where they are and get them to move in ways that they're safe mm -hmm. and that they feel comfortable and confident. Right. But if they are absolutely unwilling, there's not much you can do. That sounds like a thing that has a greater life. That, that's true probably for so many things in yes. our lives. It reminds me of like the way that 
Alcoholics Anonymous talks about things yeah. like in the issue of like rock bottom and wanting yeah. to change and stuff like that. I know that's that's a part of their lore. The AA lore is like that same kind of thing. Yeah, so absolutely. It, it, it applies to lots of stuff, I guess. So what was the driving factor for you? Why did you decide to show up to PT even though you had a bad experience? And well, what got you out of it? <laughs> I think it, you know, in a way to have something that was that traumatic. I mean, my arm is in a sling. Yeah. And I'm like. I think as you one approaches middle age, I think I'm either firmly in the beginning of middle age or starting that, you know, kind of process of being the typical middle age, midlife crisis male kind of thing. I think it's, it's a deeply emotional thing because I had the surgery right on the cusp of that time of my life um, last year. Yeah. And I, yeah, it just became like this whole thing about like, I'm looking at the second half of my life and I'm thinking, how do I want to live the second half of my life physically? How do I want to exercise? Do I want to do these like really long, like 30 plus 40 plus mile backpacking trips? I wanted to, as you know, like part of the process, which doesn't seem like it involves the shoulder directly, but like I wanted to do longer distance trail running, like 25 Mm -hmm. K's and 50 K's, which is like 15 to 30 miles, you know, kind of things, even ultra marathon type distances. And it was like, I guess I had to look at it and be like, are those goals that I want to simply give up on and say, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. I guess, or is it the kind of thing where, and I had started this whole like kind of health revolution in myself. I started eating very differently in 2019 and I started exercising in a different way and it kind of sparked me, you know, maybe it was like turning 40 and just that those feelings that come with like 40, you know, or maybe now it's 50, you know, where people, there's a certain number that makes you feel like, oh no, (laughs) I have to to treat my body in a certain way. And so I think there was a sense like I knew that it, it was severe enough. I think I had to face something severe enough in my life, not just like back pain where right. maybe one day it was fine, but the next day it was bad. Okay. I'll go to physical therapist. I don't know if that really helped. Da, yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah. As opposed to being like, I was trapped, you know, like there was, I felt like there was no way out of this. I still have young kids. Um, and the idea of not being able to do things with them that I wanted to do of not being able to be on that long family hike and carry their backpack, which I almost always end up doing at some point <laughs> during the hike, you yeah. know, and, uh, yeah, and just not be, and, and I think in some ways, maybe like this feeling of youth and going into middle age, it was like, there were ideas about myself. I guess I felt not ready to give up on. Yeah. And I don't ever want to give up on in a sense, although even based on something you said earlier, there's this sense where you have to redefine yourself. Yeah. Like what if I can't do the same things? Like, you know, one of my early goals I said is I will know I've recovered if I can do pull-ups again. Yep. Cause I got into pull-ups. I really love pull-ups. I felt like pull-ups were really great. And I wanted, and you know, you said that it would probably take a year and I was like, yeah, that feels like too long, you know, and I didn't want to, and you know what? I started being able to do them again, almost exactly one year. It was like October. The surgery was November 16th, 2021. And it was almost like in late October. I texted you. I was like, I did, I did pull-ups. Yeah. So to see that, I did not anticipate that it was going to be that long though, but I felt inspired to continue with it precisely because I could see movement. The shoulder felt this way this week, but then the next time it felt this way. Right. And some of the things really worked. And it was like you said, motion, like actually, I think that's counterintuitive though. And that's something I learned from you is like, yeah, something hurts. Don't move it. Yeah. Okay. Something hurts. Yes. The wrong kind of movement could obviously be bad Yeah. or too much, but to actually move something that hurts a little bit counterintuitive, but I thought that that was, that's a great process. It's amazing. And if there was, gosh, if there was one message I had for people as a physical therapist, it would be. If you have pain, I mean, granted, I don't want you like you have your acute injury, you fall, dislocate your shoulder, just move. You'll feel better. No, it has to be the right context. If you have pain or lingering something, 
Do something about it so that you can move again. Mm -hmm. Don't become defined by this new body that you have because the body adapts, the body responds to load. It responds to the, the forces that are on it throughout the day. Yeah. If you put good forces through your body and you start moving again, the changes won't be just felt, but, but it'll be kind of this, what's the word I'm looking for? This, this, your, your, uh, your emotions, like your, your mental state, everything will be elevated with it. Mm. Like, it's almost like this transcendence. I think that's the word I'm looking for. And this out of body experience where you'll become something you didn't think you could again. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's, it feels, it's like elation Yes, when you get back to that. Yeah. Transcendence. That's a great, the way emotions I appreciated, not only on our first appointment where I was obviously nervous, but just throughout, even just listening to someone talk, I would imagine like back in the 1950s or whenever physical therapy was invented, there probably wasn't <laughs> a big emphasis on like listening to people no. or letting your entire experience be a part of that. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think I'm a very gut level kind of person, a very emotional kind of person. And I think to experience, I think even in ways that I don't understand. Let me tell you about a weird experience I had even recently that maybe you could reflect on in terms of that emotional yeah. um, thing. So I, how do I tell this story? Like a couple months ago, I had this experience where, you know, there were just things going on in my life that I felt very upset about. And I just basically, I went on this long walk with my wife, walking our dog. And I just had, I don't know how else to ex- explain it, except to say it was just like a low level mental breakdown. Like just... I was just so upset. I was very viscerally upset about legitimate things, real things. And I was appreciative to have someone to talk to and to just to kind of work through this. And I'm still, you know, processing some things about all this stuff. But one thing that my wife brought up that was super fascinating that I totally didn't realize, this like breakdown I'm describing, it occurred on the exact one year anniversary of the surgery. Oh, wow. On November 16th. And she was like, I wonder if that plays some role just in that heightened emotional state. Yeah. On that exact day. A day wow. that was really important to me as a transition in my body and the surgery. And uh, I, I thought about it. And I was like, it was like almost like I didn't want to take away from the experience I was having by attributing it to feeling some kind of weird memory of this other thing. But then again, I thought, well, it's also kind of honoring to the experience too, to realize that, yeah, to have like these anniversaries, like, and I could imagine if somebody had heart surgery or something much yeah. more serious to have like that anniversary of that thing. You know, especially if it was something where you were rushed to a hospital, say with a yeah. heart problem. And, you know, the, the day that comes up again, just like the grief or trauma that comes on a day when a loved one had passed away or something. Yeah. You remember that. Yeah. And even if you don't remember it, maybe in your mind, it's kind of almost like mystical. But I wondered, like, d- did my body just like somehow remember that? Yeah. Like that actual day and that feeling like, yeah, is that a common experience to have or like what kind of I don't know. Talk about that. It is. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, I mean, you bring up, you know, somebody who had a heart incident that's more serious than Mm. mine or you know whatever the case you can't compare Mm. severity you can't compare um one injury to another because those are significant in your life Mm. there's a book and i I recommend it to a lot of people it's called the body keeps a score oh yeah and it does talk it does talk about new york times bestseller for lots of weeks during the pandemic in particular it's it's really great and so many people can relate to the story of something in your life going wrong, whether it's a divorce, a loss of a loved one, mm. a loss of an ability or or a moment in your life where you thought everything is different now mm. and something monumental has changed mm-hmm. who you are. That date, that environment, you know, where you are, the time of year, mm-hmm. uh, it it is valid. So mm. I'm not surprised that that mm. happened. Mm. Um, of course, having other things 
can contribute to that. If you have other significant moments in your life, it sounds like there are some other things going on for you too. Yeah, clearly, but, clearly real things, but like to add that weight of it and to realize yeah. that it corresponded with that. Right. It's like, huh, that can't play no role at all. I, I, I don't think <laughs> it's play some role. Right? right. I don't think it's coincidence. And mm-hmm. I do, I, I firmly believe that the body does keep a score. And yeah. I think we do have this emotional traumatic experience that, can trigger that spot in our brain to when this moment happened a year ago or mm-hmm. two years ago, the grieving process, the rehab pro- process, the recovery process looks so different for yeah. everybody. Yeah. And if that one year mark was so monumental, or if that two year mark was so monumental for you, there's a lot of weight surrounding it. Right. There's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of right. mental energy focused on that. So right. I absolutely think that it can pertain to that. And I do see it. With other patients. I think for me, in summary, it was the first time in my life, really, when I felt like my body seriously broke down. Yeah. And it had just never broken down. I'd always, I'd been an athlete in four sports all throughout high school and not really so much in college, but I kept that kind of ethos alive. And even yeah. with the running and stuff, I'm still trying to like live into that. And yeah. it was the first time of just like a serious breakdown. And so those comes, those come with thoughts of like, of just death and change. Yeah. And I imagine too, like one of the deep questions, if you have, chronic pain or some major injury and it's like you can't get over it it's like you wonder in like very deep emotional ways like am i ever even going to be happy again yeah will i even be able to do the things i used to do that i associate with happiness absolutely because it's not just like happiness like this zen state inside your mind it's this total picture of your life right like are you happy in your life right now so what keeps you there like what keeps you trying like day after day trying to get back to that homeostasis or that that place of peace (laughs) I wonder if in some ways it's still, it's not a totally, maybe not a totally mature process. Like in a sense, it's still this like male macho, like get back to where I was and like be what I was. And now okay. like last year I ran two 25 K races. Yes, it was really fun. And now I'm trying to do three 50 Ks. And 20. So it's like, you can <laughs> yes. see I'm doing this thing of like, I'm going to pretend like this never happened. I'm going to even do more. <laughs> bury it. Yeah. I'm going to bury it deeper, <laughs> deeper inside of me. But eventually even that, right? Like that's going to break down. And even yeah. training for these 50Ks, I'm realizing like, oh, I'll, there'll be a time when I will run my last run. It might not be when I'm 43 or 53 or 73, but it will happen. I thought that just the other day. Like, and I didn't feel sad, but I thought, yeah, that's like every day of your life. You're like one step closer to that. Right. Wow. And that's true for everybody. And so I think there's still something that has to come in my life that I'm just not there yet in terms of like not trying to fight it by even more ridiculous things. But but just accepting, like you say, this idea of redefining. And I imagine for major athletes who, you know, like we saw mm. nationally, there was a, a football player in the Bills who had that heart failure on the field, yeah. Damar Hamlin. And, you know, like regardless of whether he returns to football, like he's going to have to redefine his entire life. Yeah. Especially if he doesn't go back to football. Right. Like life right. becomes bigger and about something else. And so I think I'm just on that journey as a middle aged person to like think, OK, my kids are going to grow up. My marriage will be different. I can't have all the things I used to have. I can't even do all the things I used to do. Yeah. Just in general, not even with the shoulder. The shoulder is almost like fully recovered, I would say, like 99 percent. Yeah. But it'll be something else. Right. What's that bigger thing for you? <laughs> I think it's probably, yeah, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still very much on the journey. I'm exploring. I think it might be, you know, rather than like being on this like achievement treadmill in life, Mm -hmm. it might be like just bigger questions of meaning or realizing that like finding some way to actually give back with a focus on other people, not just building. I mean, this is the mythology of the midlife crisis is that one kind of gets certain skills and then you build, 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 acquire. I get the house. I get the wife. I get the kids. I get the stuff. And then the breakdown is this moment where you're like, I can't keep building anymore. And so yeah. when people do very traditional midlife crisis things, 
grow the ponytail and get the get the <laughs> motorcycle and yeah. try to run 350k races for no reason like that kind of stuff it's like this avoidance of this thing yeah. that one's life has to take in the the the, the christian author richard Rohr has a lot mm. of writing on this about how one has to become a kind of holy fool and take a wisdom descent yeah. at that point into life and so I know whether I wanted to or not at some point, what comes next has to be some kind of descent, yeah. not just ascent and clawing upward, yeah. but some kind of descent, which involves, which involves wisdom and not like just physical strength, but a different mm -hmm. kind of strength. Yeah. And also involves going down into like some deeper, darker places of life and also being that support for other people. That's amazing too. Yeah. So being that support for other people right now, what are a few pieces of encouragement you have tips for the journey yeah. and they, you can do three, you can do two. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. But what's bubbling up for you to tell people right now? Yeah. I mean, in terms of like just medical stuff and in terms of our work that we did together, which was so meaningful. I mean, you were just so good. I, I think even the, the kind of practical stuff that can get overlooked, like, you know, we all want like a mystical, beautiful path toward wholeness and not the fact like you have to show up for the appointment. Yeah. And, you know, you had homework for me between the times, which sometimes I didn't do it to the full extent, but every time I didn't, I felt guilty and I tried the next time to come back. And I think it's always about going from wherever you are, which was very much what you encouraged during that healing process is like, you gotta do, you gotta go from where you are. And so yeah. I think that, you know, I had to really ask myself, like, what is it that I'm trying to do and what do I want? And then actually aligning. So in other words, maybe like aligning my actual values with my actions, yeah. Sometimes we say we have values and then the things we do are totally opposite our values that we state. Yeah. So it's like, well, was I, was I wrong about my values or is, am I, do I need to get my actions in line? Right. But it's at some point those things have to come in line. So to organize your actions and your values around that process of healing, like to actually do it. Yeah. Number one. Um, and number two right there, I think that those are the things. And then also like, I think there has to be some kind of support network around people like emotionally, um, whether that's mental health therapy, whether that's, mm all kinds of things. I had some, I had some free mental health therapy built into my physical therapy as you can <laughs> hear, great. but you know, um, but you know, I can get that through other ways too, because it is something that goes on and on. And there does have to be another journey that goes alongside the rehab physical one. And it's like a wisdom journey about how to become a different kind of person. Yeah. And that could be true if, if I was 25 and had a major surgery or 55 or whatever, or yeah. 75, Wow. one becomes a different person. So I think a, a certain openness to that task and finding other people to journey with along the way because to do it alone, I think is just a little too, too lonely. Yeah. You know? We need people. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing, Brian. This was yeah. an incredible, you know, recap reconnection of, <laughs> you know, a time we had rehab together, but yeah. I think the good memories, the lessons are going to carry the people that need to hear it so far and your encouragement, your wisdom and your insight, I think is going to help more people than, uh, or I hope helps more people than we even realize right now. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being my physical therapist. Anytime <laughs> and all the time. And go see a PT if you need to uh, get moving again. <laughs> this video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews. And we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>